Today's reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. That's 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6 to 14. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. I want to speak today on the title, Don't Waste Your Gifts. Don't waste your gifts, because this is a time of extraordinary challenge and remarkable opportunity in the life of uh, everyone, in the life of our church, our city, our nation, and in the life of our world. I had this image this week of almost like things balancing on a knife edge. So one of those times, maybe in redemption history, in sovereign history, when things really could go either way. It feels a bit like that uh, from week to week at the moment. There's a remarkable openness in the rising generation. We're seeing people come to faith on pretty much a weekly basis. We're seeing this remarkable passion when people do come to faith. What they're saying is, I want to be discipled. I want to go deep. It's almost sudden and deep conversions that we're seeing. We're seeing this desire in our church to invest in people. And at the same time, we are seeing real complexities and challenges. I think it's one of the most exciting times in the history of the world, universe even, to follow Jesus. Because it's just the sort of time, if you trace salvation history through the centuries, it's just the sort of time when God would say, This is a moment I'm going to reveal my glory and draw many people to myself. And one of the things that will make the difference is the gifts that God has placed within each of us. Because if the God who made the universe, who knows all things, who knows the end from the beginning, who loves you and made you for a purpose, and who loves the people around you, if God has placed gifts on the inside of you, you can bet your life you're going to need to use them. You can bet that he put them there hoping that you would discern and discover and deploy and develop them. Not that you just leave them on the shelf or hide them away in a cupboard. God never gives gifts hoping that you won't use them or that you'll forget about them. He gives you gifts which are purpose-shaped which are a clue to your calling and your destiny, and which are perfectly positioned you to have an impact on the people around you and the place he has placed you. 
First thing we see in this passage is it's so important to set your gifts on fire. We come at this letter at a key moment of transition. Paul is in prison. His race is nearly done. He doesn't know it yet, but he's approaching his execution. He probably knows he hasn't got a huge amount of time. He doesn't know how long he's going to live for. This is the last letter he ever wrote. He has one chance, this opportunity to pass on something to those he's invested his life trying to serve and raise up and develop. To pass on something. And he writes to his young apprentice, Timothy. And in all the challenges that the churches he's planted are facing, in all the challenges that the empire, the Roman Empire is facing, in all the challenges that the different nations he's visited are facing, when the church is so fragile, facing heresy, facing leaders falling, facing state oppression, Paul doesn't give a blueprint or a battle plan or a five-year strategic goal. Instead, he commissions the person who he's entrusted with carrying on the mission. And he tells him, remember your gifts. You need to fan them into flame." Seems like what Timothy most needs to know at this key moment is not every single step he might have to take for the next 40 years of his life. It's not every left turn or right turn. It's not wisdom about every decision. It's instead to discover and discern and fan into the flame the gifts that have been placed within him. This is a time with all the needs and crises and challenges where the answer is you know, where there's so much complexity in our world, it would be very easy just to look at all the complexity and become a little bit frozen and never do anything. But there are actually things we can influence. I sometimes say, you know, there are lots of things in the world you can't influence. Pray about them, and then actually you can influence them. There are lots of things in the world you can influence. Focus your energy on those things. There's times and times like today when each of us needs to ask the Spirit of God to fan our gifts into flame and to breathe new oxygen into us, to rekindle the gifts that have been placed inside us. Sometimes it's like the gift is like an ember. Still there, still active, but it's just grown a bit small. Maybe it's shrunk. Maybe it's turned inwards. Maybe it's become a little bit weary, a little bit tied up. And there are times when we need to fan the oxygen of purpose and the life of the Spirit into our gifts because this is a time when the people around you, our church, desperately needs it. Maybe you've got insight in your workplace into the economic challenges we're facing at the moment. Maybe you've got wisdom about how to structure companies so that they last not just a decade but a century. Maybe you have the ability to create resource and finance. Maybe you have pastoral gifts that enable you to come alongside people when they're struggling and to care for them in schools and hospitals and universities and different contexts. This is a time to fan your gifts into flame. Sometimes the Holy Spirit anoints a natural gift. So you're just good at something, and then the Holy Spirit breathes on it, and it's almost like, oh, suddenly there's a new ease. It's, it's not as difficult as it was before. And even colleagues around you are surprised. They're like, how do you do that with so much ease? You're like, I don't know. It's just, I just can. It's simple to you. It's not difficult for you. But sometimes it's something you've never thought you were any good at. God deposits a gift. I want to be honest to you as your pastor today. feels like September is a good time for confession. Uh, I used to have a complete, consuming, awful, terrifying fear of people discovering that I was a Christian. 
Like, you would not believe how much I used to fear this. So much so, when I was in sixth form college, there was a group of us hanging out. And at, at one point in our college time, this girl comes up to me, and she actually asked me out. It's not a thing I've experienced very often in my life. And uh, she started to ask me out, and then she stopped herself and she said, look, before I ask you out, I just want to check, because I go to church, and you might not like people who go to church, and so I just want to check if you would be happy, hypothetically, with going out with someone who's a Christian and going to church. I was like, I've done a good job of hiding my faith. I like, the girl who's trying to ask me out is worried that I might be prejudiced against Christians. I'm a Christian. Like, I go to church. How have I managed that? When I came to university, I still remember uh, my first month, uh, I thought, I'll try the Christian Union. And uh, I went, and to my horror, they were meeting in this big room with massive windows right next to the college bar. I was like, that's madness. And it was on the ground floor, and they met at 7.30 when everyone would walk past to go to the college bar. So I, fortunately, the, the curtains were closed. I thought, I've had a touch there. This could have been a disaster. Anyway, they hand out songbooks. We're in a circle. Then one guy, the guy who ran the Christian Union, says, let's open the curtains. Let everyone see we're singing to God. I was like, don't do that. That's a really bad idea. He opened the curtains, and literally for the next 10 minutes, as they sang these hymns, I was like going purple as my friends were kind of walking past, going like, what are you doing in there? What's this? I was just like trying to make myself as small as possible. I hated it. At some point that year, someone prayed for me. And I don't know what happened when they prayed for me, but I know that I'd experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was just different. I didn't feel a fear anymore. I felt a new boldness. Now, nothing naturally had changed. There was no rational explanation for how I felt differently. Now, I tell you, I can't walk anywhere without people asking me about my faith. It doesn't scare me anymore. I was at a, a wedding yesterday in another city, so I was dressed quite smartly, and I went into a coffee shop, and the barista, she said to me, why are you dressed so smartly? I said, I'm going to uh, a, a wedding, actually. Anyway, I thought that'd be enough just to, you know, a little chat, not too much. And, and she said, but, well, whose wedding is it? And I said, well, it's this couple called Ditya and Lauren. They're an amazing couple. And, uh, you know, I, and she said, well, what's your relationship with the couple? So, you know, <laughs> just one coffee, please. <laughs> Thanks. I said, well, I, I, I guess um, well, I'm going to be working with them. Why, why are you going to be working with them? Well, like, uh, Ditya is going to come and work with our youth, and, and Lauren's going to come and work with our students. They're, they're going to come and work at the church um, I'm, I'm involved in leading. She stopped. She said, are you a pastor? I was, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess I'm kind of a pastor. She said, oh, that's interesting. She looked a bit suspicious. She said, can I just say, you don't give off pastor energy. I was like... <laughs> You know when you feel like you're getting constructive feedback and you don't even know why? I was, I'm trying, like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Anyway, we have this whole conversation. I walked out, I thought, what is my life now? I just have to go everywhere, wherever I go, I have to be waiting to talk about Jesus. That, I, if you'd have told me when I was 18, 19, 20, I'd be spending my days doing that, I would have said, never in a million years. But God has positioned something within me that means I don't fear it, and sometimes I actually quite enjoy it. Now, that's nothing to do with me. What Paul says is, there's a gift of God which has been placed within you 
The gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So interesting. So the gift comes from God. So we can't claim any credit for it. We can't boast about it. We can't say it's amazing we have it. Sometimes if you're using your gift, whether it's natural or supernatural, you kind of feel like it, it could be the same as someone else is doing it. You feel a little bit disconnected to it because it's just like happening. You don't really know how it's happening. Because it's a gift that's been given to you. But we have a responsibility. God gives the gifts, but we have a responsibility. He gives them you know, with his initiative, with his kindness, but our responsibility is to fan them into flame. It's a little bit like if a fire's you know, just embers, it's like leaning down next to it and blowing the wind on it. Getting alongside it and fanning it back into flame. You know, praying it about it and using the gift and trying it and taking a risk and worshipping and then stirring up the gift and then trying again, taking a step. And I just encourage you, whatever your gift is, whatever gift you might want, take a step of faith this week. Do something to use that gift. Take a step out of your comfort zone. Often when that happens, you feel the fear. Paul talks here about he's not given you a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear. And I have to say, whenever I've been tempted to take a step in terms of using a gift, I've felt fear. I remember once a friend asked me to do something, uh, a volunteer leadership position with a youth ministry. And I said to him, I'd love to, but it's not the best time. We've got a lot on, Beth and I are working very hard. I can't really fit that into my diary. It's not a good time for us. He said, Steve, it's a good time for the youth. I was like, oh. And then I said, oh, well, um, I said, well, Steve, I said, well, I, I, um, I think there are m- many other people who are better qualified to do that than I am. And I think you should ask them. He said, I have no doubt there are people in the world who are better qualified than you to do this, Steve. He said, but I'm asking you. And I was like, oh, that didn't really work. Anyway, and then I said, well, let's, let's, let's level with each other. You know, if you're going to push me, I said, I'm much less holy than I look. You know, <laughs> My life, it's complicated. I make mistakes all the time. Sometimes I swear, I just, I make a lot of mistakes. I don't think I'm the kind of person you really want doing this. I think you should wait um, till I'm holy. And he said, he said, Steve, if we wait till you're holy, we'll wait till you're dead. <laughs> I said, just give it a go. And you, I kind of took a step of faith and gave it a go. And although I felt inadequate and useless and weak, it was fun. It was exciting. It's worth it. Take a step. Fan your gifts into flame. But then the second thing we see in this passage is your gifts can transform lives. See, when God increases his anointing on a people, on a church, he gives a spirit not of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. You see, there's a difference between timidity and humility. We often think they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. True humility is bold. It's daring. It takes risks. And what I think the world most needs in this cultural moment today is people whose gifts are set on fire and are full, as Paul puts it here, of power and love and self-discipline. You know, we need power in this moment. It's right, to be clear, it's right that we're cautious about the exercise of power. It's right that we're wary of power dynamics. It's right that we're sometimes suspicious of those who wield and hold power. It's a good thing. But we also need great spiritual power. The world's in a desperate place. It needs people filled with spiritual power. Right now, we need 
the right kind of power. Because the Spirit brings a power that is able to discern, that's able to see beyond the immediate issues, that's able to sense what's coming, that understands supernaturally the kind of currents that are at play in our world, a power that protects, a power that heals, a power that empowers, a power that raises up, a power that develops, a power that encourages. With the Spirit, even in our weakness, we can know God's power. And that gives courage. And I just encourage you just, just, just to think at some point this week, you know, where has God positioned me where his anointing, his gifting might grow in power in my context? You know, sometimes we just, we just underestimate the position of where God's placed us. They say you're raising a family at the moment. You're not just raising children. You're not just getting through the week. Sometimes it feels like that. You get to the end of the week, you think they're all still alive. What a result. It's Friday. Thank you just feels like an achievement. But you have been entrusted with one of the most important roles on the face of the earth, pouring your life sacrificially into and developing the next generation of people to steward this world. You're not just working in a garage as a mechanic. You're someone who's using your gifts and your hands and your skills to transform someone's week, maybe their year. You're not just delivering babies in a ward. You're someone who is coming alongside people at their hour of greatest need and guiding them through a moment of great joy and terror. You're not just a teacher. You are a role model for a whole generation of young people, whether you realize it or not. You're not just an economist or someone who works in finance. You're someone who's been entrusted with the insight to understand the movement of funds and the movement of personalities and what are the unique components that might come together to make a company flourish. And by your wisdom, you can bring great blessing. You're not just a barista. You are someone who has been entrusted by the living God to bring one of the greatest substances on the face of the earth (laughs) to people when they desperately need it. Don't underestimate what the power of God can do in your day to day. But for power to be safe, for it to be secure, it needs to be surrounded and held by love. Power without love is risky. And this is a moment when I think each of us needs our hearts to grow with the supernatural love that only the Spirit can bring. Because love grows us outwards. Augustine said, one of the signs of you know, the growth of sin in our world is incubators say, you know, the move inwards, the inward turn, that we might be curved in on ourselves. And I think one of the challenges of the last few years is as life has got more complex and difficult and we've had so much stress and challenges, there's a temptation to turn ourselves inwards. And this is a moment to say, no, I don't just want to make my life about my life. I don't just want to make my friendship group about our friendship group. I don't just want to make my family about our family. I don't just want to make our church about our church. We want to reach out to the world that desperately needs it. I was reminded this week uh, that when I was 23 years old, someone actually came up to me in church and uh, they asked me to lead a coffee team. And I was a little bit offended by this because I was working 80-hour weeks at the time as a barrister, and I wasn't a barista. And, um, and I just thought, 80-hour weeks, like Sunday is the one time I get to decompress. I don't want to do anything on a Sunday. But I couldn't think of an excuse, so I said yes. 
And so the next week I turned up early and I was so annoyed. And I was making coffee. I realized the coffee was rubbish and the mugs were rubbish and the machine was rubbish and everything was rubbish. And um, the team needed some work and, you know, I was just frustrated. And as I handed a cup to the first person who came in the door, I felt something really surprising happen. I just felt my heart leap a little bit. That's strange. What's that? And as I handed another cup, my heart grew a bit more. That's strange. What's that? And I have another confession to make. You know, I'm in, I'm down, why not get them all out? <laughs> I didn't always love the church. For a lot of my life, I tolerated the church. I saw it very much as a package deal. You know, you love Jesus, you have to get the church. It's like they're a, they're a package deal. So if you want to love Jesus, you have to take the church too. So I love Jesus, tolerated the church. But then as I handed people cups of coffee, I felt my heart grow in the most surprising way. By the second week, I was hassling the senior pastor. I was saying, Tony, we've got to invest more in our coffee. These people are amazing. I said, this is one of the only contexts in our city where people of different ethnicities and nationalities and different socioeconomic groups and different backgrounds and different generations come together in the same place on a Sunday because they're united by the love of Jesus. That which unites them is infinitely greater than anything that might divide them. And so if they're here, we want to honour them when they come. They've had busy weeks, difficult lives. This coffee's rubbish. <laughs> so we got better coffee than I said. The machine's not good enough. We need better coffee. Okay, we're getting the machine. The mugs. You know, the weight of a mug psychologically tells you how good the drink is. Come on. I started off tolerating the church. By the end, I loved the church. I started to see in a whole new way how the church is God's appointed agent for the transformation of the world. There is no plan B. The local church is the hope of the world. Started to grow my passion for the people in that church. Even, I, you've never realized this, I've never seen it here, but in some churches there are difficult, complicated people. <laughs> in that church there are a few. My heart grew with love for them. I say thankful they're with us. Still say one of the biggest five decisions I've made in my life was to serve coffee on a Sunday morning. Made me a better leader, made me a better person. Made me realize God's purposes for my life in a whole new way. It actually made me a better barrister. Now, you'd never sit someone down, 23 years old, and say, I want to put you on a leadership pipeline. Oh, what does that look like? You're going to make a lot of coffee. <laughs> but that's what I found. It transformed how I saw things. I look at our church today, and I thought, I want to invest my resource, my talents, my time, my treasure in helping the church to thrive. I think today we've got over 250 kids in Audate's Kids, each one of them precious in God's sight. Amazing, full of potential. Just so exciting to see them build friendships and grow spiritually. Our youth work is packed, it's buzzing. This week we've had to take on a new building in order to have enough space for our youth because it's growing. So exciting, I love that. One of the things I really sense about Gen Z and Gen Alpha so a lot of people have written off these rising generations. A lot of people have said, oh, well, you know, they've, they've faced contested education. They face challenges with their social relationships. They're facing a really difficult cultural currents in which they're trying to grow up. And there's a tendency to dismiss them. And I see it entirely the other way around. I see it and I say, isn't that just the sort of generation that God would look at and say, wow, you've had a challenging time. But you are a generation on which I'm going to pour out my spirit. 
You are a generation through which I'm going to glorify my name. You are a generation which I'm going to empower to transform the people around you. Because you can look at it and say, oh, you know, you face so many challenges. I want to say, look at the resilience that has grown in that rising generation. Oh, you face so many obstacles. I say, look at the resourcefulness that they have. Oh, oh, you've faced so many challenges. Look at the way they face problems with ingenuity and innovation. They faced real suffering from an early age. Look at how they laugh in the face of difficulty. Look at their joy. I don't think God has even begun to do what he is going to do with our emerging generation. And we're not just going to take a step back and say, well, let's see how it goes. We're going to be right alongside them. We're going to be cheering them on. We're going to be pouring everything we possibly can into these emerging generations because we say we are for you. We want to encourage you. We want to speak life over you. We want to build into you because we see good things over your future, not what the world sees, not what the media sees. What does that look like? Well, why don't you welcome up Ifania and Sarah and they're going to help me demonstrate. Come on, guys. So Sarah, so we have a younger generation. There you go, Sarah. It's very safe. <laughs> well done. Brilliant. So we have a younger generation, full of strength. We have an older generation, full of wisdom. We have a younger generation with passion. We have an older generation with resilience. We have a younger generation full of ideas and get up and go. And we have an older generation that says, yeah, we've seen a few winters. Let's help you on this way. As these generations come together, as the more mature in our congregation invest and build and pour their lives into our younger generation, just think what could happen in our time. Strength and wisdom, innovation and experience, passion and tenacity to stay the course. Just think what God could do as we see our Gen Z's and our Gen Alphas and our Gen X's and our Gen Y's <laughs> coming together in Jesus' name. Let's thank them. And it's students as well. In a couple of weeks, 50,000 students are going to be in our city. Every one of them important to God. I had a message from some friends who were students here a little while ago. And one of them said to me, uh, without a doubt, my time at Oxford, St. Aldate's definitely had the biggest impact on me. Uh, People poured their lives into me in a way I can't quite explain, even today, all these years later. It made such a difference. I'd never experienced the freedom and joy and investment that I experienced in that church. My other friend said to me, I'd come to faith not long before coming to Oxford. I had never known anyone become a Christian apart from me. He said, within two weeks of arriving as a fresher, someone else who was a fresher at my college came to all dates with me, and he became a Christian in that very first service and grew and grew from there. He says, it blew my mind. I was now passionate about evangelism and seeing people encounter Jesus. Today, 30 years later, they lead an amazing church that they've planted another part of the world, seen over 600 people be baptized in just the last 
eight years. It's not separate. It's not different to you. It's not distinct from you. It's connected. It's part of our inheritance. It's part of our legacy. And it's happening today. Just can't wait to see what happens with all these students arriving. Our opportunity to invest in them. Our young adults, passionate about discipleship, have so many fascinating conversations with our young adults saying, I want to go deeper. I want to I take hold of the deep truths of our faith in a way that will help me stand firm in my workplace, wherever God has positioned me. I love that. I love the opportunity for our older generations to invest in our rising generations. I love the prison ministry we have here. You know, Act run a prison ministry. Someone told me in passing last week, in an email, they said, so excited about everything that's happening in church. By the way, just thought you'd like to know. Since January, 25 men have given their lives to Jesus through our prison ministry in one prison. I was like, what? That's amazing. 25 men walking around a prison who in January didn't know Jesus, now do. Think of the impact of that one thing. Power and love and then self-discipline. Raniero Cantamalessa says, as the anointing increases, as the voltage of the current increases, you need more insulation to hold it. Otherwise you get a shortage. Otherwise you get a wipeout. And this is a moment for us to, to help each other. Just encourage you. Make sure you've got someone speaking into your life. Make sure you're giving scripture permission to speak into your life. Don't just read the word of God. Let the word of God read you and challenge you. Don't just impose your framework on God's word, but build your framework, construct your framework from the timeless word of God. We have a key role to play in supporting and encouraging. You know, our lives might look different at times to those around us, but that's the very thing that will help people encounter Jesus in this season. And then you can invest your gifts with confidence. I find it so moving. This is a moment for bold plays. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So tempting in our age just to focus on our own comfort, just to focus on our own convenience. Actually, the greatest anointing in the spiritual life lies on the other side of suffering. Sometimes that can be really visible. Sometimes it's something that you are walking through that not another soul knows about. It's the crushing that precedes the anointing because that's how the oil gets out. And Paul is in prison. He's just about to die. He can't see his friends. He's got no way of connecting with all he's invested his life in. And what does he say to Timothy? Never knowing if Timothy will get this letter or read it or still less anyone else, this would blow his mind that we're talking about it. He says, I know whom I have believed. I know whom, not what, but whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. You know, all he's done, all he's invested, all he's faced, pouring out his life for the kingdom of God. He's invested his time. He's invested his gifts. He's invested his finance, his resources, his opportunity. He's sacrificed. There's obedience there. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. You've poured out your time. You're investing your resource. You've taken decisions which have been hard. You've sacrificed things. You've been obedient to God. And sometimes there's a nagging doubt. Is it going to be worth it in the end? And I tell you, it will definitely be worth it. He is able to guard what you've entrusted to him. You can trust 
Jesus with it all. This is a moment for taking a step of faith. This is a moment for fanning your gift into flame. This is a moment for betting the farm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see many raised up to know and love him. We want to see many equipped to follow him with their whole lives. And we want to see people on fire with the good news about Jesus, using their gifts to shape every area of our city, our nation, and beyond. And he can do it. In Jesus' name, amen.